hardest discipline of my spiritual life to keep going and to keep growing. And I, you know what I was thinking about this? You know why that is, I think, this week? It's because this is how I too often pray. Lord, thank you for this day. I love you, Lord. Would you bless Jim? Would you bless Ralph? Would you bless Shannon? Lord, give him a good day. Would you bless Ernest? Would you bless Trina? Would you bless Joel? And I'll add a few more sentences in there, but not a lot. And I, now you do that like for, you know, 20 years, that's going to get pretty boring, isn't it? If your prayer vocabulary isn't being enlarged and growing. And that's what the Lord kind of is speaking to me today and, and to you is we, we want to enlarge our prayer vocabulary. We want to pray how the heavyweights, how God wants us to pray for others. Now, now, Paul is writing this book to the Ephesians. It's a church that loved him, and he loved them. Literally, tears were shed over one another, the book of Acts tells us, when he left uh, the city of Ephesus after being there for three years. They had this close connection. And so now Paul is writing to Ephesus in particular, but all of the churches in Asia Minor uh, generally, and this becomes a circular letter. And Paul has this way of writing, and he probably taught this way. Uh, whether it was six chapters or four chapters, you'll notice in, the, in what is called his prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, um, uh, the, those books. What he would do is the first two or the first three chapters, the first half of the book, he would talk about great theology, great concepts of God, salvation, and what God did for us. And then the second half was because of what God did, the second half would focus on now this is how you're to live. This is what you are to do based on what God has done and accomplished in your life. So he's writing these people and he's giving them these, these, these incredible truths about what God has done for them. And now all of a sudden, he, it, it, there, there's something that happens within him. That when he moves from the theology to the practical, it's almost like there's an intended break. And I really believe it's the Spirit of God come on him in such a way. Because notice what he says, verse 14. For this reason I kneel. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? The things that he's already talked about, the, the monumental truths that he's already communicated. And he says, I just fall on my knees before Father God in heaven as I pray for you. Now, that's, that's important because there's something happening, seeping into the soul through the spirit of Paul because of what God's doing there in that prison that he's writing from. Because see, when a Jewish man would pray, he was much more dignified. It was usually standing before God, looking up. Hands raised, hands, uh, palms upturned like this. That was the standard protocol way for prayer. But Paul says, there's something happening. There's something welling up within me. And I want you to notice how he begins to pray for this people that loved him. And he loved. The first thing you'll see as we read through it, uh, verse 15 says this, From this, his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray out of the glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together in with all the saints 
You, you know, there's only two things. You know, a lot of times we think saints are these special people. There's only two things. There's saints and there's ain'ts. Okay? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a saint. If you don't, you're an ain't getting ready to become a saint, hopefully. But he says that you would be rooted, established in love, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long, high, deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is beautiful language. And then get this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, within me, within you, within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, notice the first movement after he talks about falling to his knees. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. How often do we get caught up focused on praying for, well, people's external circumstances, even our own? Lord, bless this and do that and help this to come about. That's what I mean. I too often just kind of do this little glossy prayer of generalization. Lord, bless and heal and move. But I'm learning from this prayer. I think God has a little different way for us to begin to pray. See, Paul could have done the same thing. Ephesus was a pretty well-to-do town, possibly going through some struggles, and he could have said, I just want to pray for the city of Ephesus that the economic times would begin to boom again and they would grow. I want to pray that your jobs would have plenty of profit and positive happening, that you wouldn't have any bosses or people, you know, giving you a hard time. Oh, and probably those elections coming up, you know, we, we all know how you want the conservatives to win, so we'll pray that they, you know, get into office. To, he, you know, th- those are all circumstances, external stuff. And he doesn't pray for those things. He resists the temptation to pray for fair weather and for good times. I think what he's really saying there is he says, it really doesn't matter the circumstances they're in. I pray that the life of God would strengthen your inner being. Well, why is that? Well, let's face it. If the, if, if the life of God is being strengthened within us, we can probably face a lot more than we think we can, can't we? So when you have the life of God at work in you and you're convinced of it, and live on the basis of that, it will give you an intestinal fortitude, a spiritual strength that you may not know is there. See, a great challenge I have as a leader, and most of us, you know, we, 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 we're around people all the time that are, man, they're just knee-deep in difficult circumstances. I mean, we got people, you know, that, you know, with all the foreclosures and everything going on, we got people right now that are making pretty good money off that. So as soon as we start praying for the good economic times, what we're praying is, is they, well, then they go back to some difficult times, potentially. You see how, the, see how the circumstance prayers can sometimes be difficult? So it's so important that sometimes we raise our eyes above circumstances and we begin to pray that people would be strengthened with the power of Jesus Christ in their most inner being so they can handle whatever comes that way. I would encourage you. I think you would agree with me. Wouldn't this be a great prayer to pray for our president? 
that he would be strengthened in his inner being? Don't you think it would be a great thing to pray for your pastoral staff? For your boss? For your employees? For your family? That they would be, that they would experience the inner strength of Christ. Well, Paul begins to move forward, and you see this progression, and he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I probably summarize it this way, that I want you all to be convinced of Christ's indwelling presence. If you have a relationship with him, know that he is with you. Paul uses a word here. It's a kata akeo. Kata akeo. And kat means down. Akeo means home with. So the literal translation is be home with. Let Christ be kata okeo, at home with, dwell with you. Now, this is what's really an interesting nuance of the language there. He isn't saying let him be at home and, because he's renting from you. This is a permanent place. He says, I'm going to just dwell in there for a month or a lease that's going to be up. This is permanent stuff. I'm sitting with you. I want to live with you. I want to be part of you. Do do you know people who wrestle with loneliness or disappointment that can make them lonely? When Jesus was ready to go back to the Father, remember what one of the parting statements was to his followers? He said, I've got to go. I'm going to physically remove myself. You don't don't understand all this right now, but I'm going to remove myself from you physically so that my presence, though, can be with you. And what does he say? He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My physical presence is going back to the Father, but through the presence of my Spirit, God's Spirit, it's going to be with you. That's what Jesus wanted his followers. That's what he wants you to know today. That's what he wants me to know. See, over the years, I've had to walk through incredible tragedies and diverse difficulties with a lot of people. When I'm with them, when I'm with the loved ones who have experienced a tragedy that that rear ends or sideswipes them, uh, this is what I've, I don't have the words to comfort them. I don't have the wherewithal to speak comfort and consolation in what would be by human status inconsolable situations. And, And this is what I've learned. That without being a preacher, that without being preachy, I just have to speak God's word to them. Sometimes it's Psalm 23. That we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, I am with you. Sometimes it's John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because if you believe in him, believe in me also. And know that where I'm going, you're going to be there with me someday. Sometimes it's simply the word of God that we can only speak and give the ultimate hope. Friends, that's what, the, that's what this season is all about that we're celebrating. Matthew 1, to 23, what does it say? That he will save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. 
And sometimes that is the best that we can do. But sometimes we can speak that. Scripture says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And it's not my word, but it's simply God's word. And we begin to say, guess what? I'm with you. More importantly, Jesus is with you. And I want to pray that you have this, this deep awareness of not only his indwelling presence in you, but his presence with and about you. Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, sometimes that can be the game changer for a person's life that will keep them going, moving forward. Uh, Give them the dash of hope that they know, this awareness that can seep into their soul and remove them from the dark depths of despair that so many people begin to enter into because they think they're alone. I was traveling a few weeks ago, and, and, uh, and, and it seems like when I travel, I just get sick. And this time, I got really sick. And I'm doing this, this thing I got to do and, and, uh, with another church. And, man, by, by, by Thursday night, and, and the big days are coming, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, by Thursday night, I am just dying. My head, my chest, um, my asthma stuff it kicked in, and I, and I couldn't hardly Breathe, and I just think, God, I just want to check out. As a matter of fact, why don't you just check me out? Pearly Gate sounds really good right now. And I'm not kidding you, it was just bad. And I was, ah, oh, maybe I'll just call it off to one. I won't go do my part. And, and I'm just, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there reading the scriptures, reading the scriptures, praying, Lord, would you just touch my body? And I know you're here. Would you heal me? Would you help me to feel better or take me home? I don't care, but do something. Can I tell you something? He didn't do any of those things. But I've got to tell you, I just realized that this, that with, with, with Christ, Philippians 4 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes we just need to know and be reminded of the power of his presence. So I got up, did my thing. Sicker than a dog. But I had this indwelling power and presence of God that was with me. And friends, sometimes that's what it takes, is God will give you strength for the journey. He might not take away the stuff that you ask for him to do. It might not get removed. Maybe the experience of God will simply be be this. I'm going to give you a guided tour through it. Because I'm with you. And notice the next phrase. And, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses all knowledge. Paul says, I want you to be rooted. I want you to have some a root system that goes down, brings stability and structure to your life into the unfathomable, unmeasurable depths and heights of God's love. Now, what I love about this passage is I know the Apostle Paul in writing and studying about his life. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was a knowledge guy? See, there, there's really two kinds of people a lot of times. There's knowledge and thinkers and there's feelers. And, you know, kind of the more the mystical. If you study Jesus' disciples, most of them are in two camps the same way. And most of us as people, as Christ followers, uh, we kind of align the same way. And, you know, and, and those of us who are always feeling, we think, hey, listen, could you just get a little bit more, you know, emotion and feeling? And the people that are over here that are the thinkers, 
the data people, hey, could you just kind of cut the experience and the feelings and get your, you know, start thinking a little bit, use your brain? It's not either or. It's both and. Paul here, who is probably one of the greatest, well, he was the greatest thinkers of the New Testament. Besides Jesus himself, wrote almost half of it. He wrote the deepest books. He's the one that wrote Romans. Read Romans. It's a treatise on justification by faith and living by faith and the power of sin and being removed from the power of sin and God's work in our lives in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is deep stuff. He wrote that. He wrote the book of Hebrews. Many believe that has to do with interpreting the Old Testament for the Jew in the New Testament. We're talking deep. Man, he was an intellectual heavyweight of the first century. He was a theologian. He lived in spiritual academia. He was a concrete apologist that would took on the Greek philosophers, argue with them, verbally spar with them. He was like a high-priced lawyer. And he shut him down. He was a Rhodes Scholar, a defender of the faith, the first true Bible answer man, the rock star thinker of the Christian church. It's important to know all that. Why? Because this is what he says. Knowledge is important. All of his books talk about doctrine. I want you to think right. I want you to know the right truths about God. But there's something that's even a little bit greater than that. It's called the love of God. Because when that touches you, when it gets into your human heart, into your spiritual soul, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. It cuts to the core of a human heart. It gets through the stuff. It can touch your life in a way that facts and information just can't do it. And I want you to know the truth, friends. but I want you to experience the affection of Jesus. That's why I'm on my knee, because I'm experiencing it right now. Because when that touches you, it'll be a, a life-changer. You'll, you'll, it'll change the way you see Jesus. It'll change the way you come and worship. It'll change the way you prepare for church. It'll, cha- it'll change everything. It'll change the way you give. It'll change the way you see people. In college, the most impacting professor I had, his name was Dr. Ted Roberts. He was a towering intellect. He had in degrees of things I had never heard of. He was a Marine fighter pilot in Vietnam. He was saved out of alcohol and sexual addictions uh, to, uh, by a, the, the prayers of his precious wife. And he saved in a foxhole in Vietnam, in a drunken stupor. And, and this guy, he would teach, and he came and taught, my last year was there one year, before he went on to become one of the most significant pastors, pastor one of the largest churches in the four-square denomination up in Gresham, Oregon, a mega church. And this guy taught two classes that I had with him, historical theology and hermeneutics. And you know, I can't even pronounce the names hardly, let alone know what they're talking about. I mean, it's deep stuff. But he had this incredible, incredible mind what I loved about Dr. Ted was his intellect never surpassed his tenderness of heart. Now, he's a Vietnam pilot that flew sorties and missions. And, you know, one day we're in class. He says, Dr. Ted, tell us, what's the, what's the greatest truth in Scripture? Now, he's a vet, so it didn't come easy, and he wasn't going to let it go. But you begin to kind of see his eyes just well up just a little bit. And he just said, Jesus 
This I know. And he still loves me today. Friends, that's what Paul's saying here. Know your doctrine. Know the Bible. I know all the head stuff. Man, I can, I can give you verse and line for justification, sanctification, glorification, soteriology, hammerology, all the ologies you want. I know it. I get it. Uh, but there's this love of God. And then when it intersects with our life, we can experience a heart-softening, life-changing, spirit-stirring truth The God, the creator of this cosmos, has a passionate, unconditional, irrational love for you. For you. For you. For you. For me. And he says, that's the game changer. Paul has these moments. They're incredible moments. Where it's almost like there's this Mount Everest or there's this volcano of emotion, of spiritual emotion that just begins to bubble and all of a sudden it erupts. And we see it here in Ephesians chapter 3. But there's also one in, in Romans chapter 8 where he's talking again about some deep theological truths. And all of a sudden he moves the people at the church in Rome, in the Roman Empire. As he writes to them, he says, listen, Jesus is it. Because of him, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can take you on. It doesn't matter what's happening around you when God is in you and at work through you. It's a game changer for every one of us. Listen to what he says. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, the future, any powers. And he kind of hits this riff again. Oh, neither height, depth, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. See, he doesn't get that from a book. He gets that from a heart relationship with the risen God. See, Paul always moved beyond the knowledge to be a lover of Jesus Christ. I remember coming to Christ myself. I was a teenager, 18, and I was coming home. I was laying in bed. And I'm just laying there, not in a good place. And all of a sudden, I'd grown up in trailer parks and broken homes, and all of a sudden, I'm laying there. And God spoke to me as clear as I'm speaking to you today. For some of you, maybe they're on a different place in your spiritual journey. You're going to go, whoa, this is weird. But it, it happened. It was within me. It wasn't an audible voice. But I knew I'd been going to church. My dad made me go to church after he had become a Christ follower. And, and I'd been going for about a year. All of a sudden, God spoke to me and said, I've got a better plan for you. And if you don't take it, you're going to go this way, and it's not going to be pretty. And all of a sudden, I, I just, it was almost a decision to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going this way. I don't like where I am and where I've been. And all of a sudden, this emotion of love poured over me that I had never experienced in my life just because of all the dysfunction that I'd experienced. 
changed. It was, it was, listen, friends, it was a game changer for the rest of my life. I can't even imagine where I'd be today if it wasn't for that moment that I responded to the love of God. And see, people, now, you, people they hear me say that, they go, wow, you must live there all the time. No, I don't. I don't feel that all the time. I just know in my heart because I know what God's word says. I know what happened back in that summer of 76. I know what God did. And I know that what happened then is good for today. And I don't experience that overwhelming love. Just like Paul, when he, when he preaches and teaches through the scriptures, you don't sense those Mount Everest of emotional experiences. But he has them. I get them now and again, though. I get them sometimes in the car when I'm just worshiping, listening to cartoons. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's in my office. Maybe it's, a lot of times as I walk through here, I become overwhelmed with God's incredible grace, goodness, that this kid that was laying drunk in his bed, God spoke to him, and now today I get to do this. And there's times when God says, and you shank that pretty good, Riley. You really messed that up. That was really a, that was a bogus decision you made, but I trust you because I love you. You're my son. Let's take care of it. And friends, listen, can I tell you something? That's a great way to live. When you sense God's love in your life. And then he says that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. He's praying for these people and he says, I want you to get the full treatment. I want it to be, it's like the old coffee commercial. I want you to get filled to the brim with whatever that was. Here, he says, I want you to be filled in all fullness to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, remember? He says, I come that you might have life to the fullest. How many of us, it doesn't happen when we just kind of allow Jesus to kind of do a half filling. Get by with a shot of God. Get a mild dose of the divine. Brush up against him on Sunday morning. And then we just kind of go on and think we got our shot of God. And we never get to the place where God really wants us to live in the fullness of his life. Where, listen, how do you know when you're being full of God? It's pretty simple. You, you think his thoughts. You pray his prayers. You feel compassion for people as he feels compassion for them. You love the people that you don't think you can love. You care for the people that you don't want to care about. Because you know how this great God loves you and how he cares about everybody. You begin to move and to think and to talk like he does. See, so many people, they get up and they go, good God, it's morning. No, this is what we do to change that. We begin to get up and we go, good morning, God. Oh, I want to live for you for your purposes, your plans. I'm going to bow my knee before you, Father, and just simply ask you that I would live and talk and walk and think and react and respond to people like 
like you do. Give me that heart. Transplant that within me.